Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode unlucky 13 of Mastication Nation, the halfway point in our first trip around the culinary horn. I don't think we promised that we would go around more than once, but I think it's going to end up being that way. Will, are you there? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Again, I- you, you, you guys have had some terrible, this is very British, you've had some very, very bad weather, haven't you? Yes, of course. My brother and I have to talk about the weather when we te- when we. This is our our catch up session every two weeks or so. So yeah. yes, the weather is uh, is pretty frightful. I don't know for California. For California, exactly. I mean, we're actually going to hit sixty eight degrees today. Which oh, is, cry me a river. Which which is like in the. Um, mid-teens, I guess, high teens. No, it's not. Te- it's not terrible. I am missing the sun a little bit, and every time I look up the sky, like I lived in England for a long time, I should be able to deal with this. You really should. Well, we had some horrendous weather in between the last couple of times that that we recorded uh, with country, you know, ending snow. The whole country ground to a halt. Actually, it was a significant amount of snow. We had a cumulative foot round our way, and my kids were off school for four days. But another person who experienced this is here with us, our good friend Paul Papadimitriou. Paul, how are you? Hi, guys. Welcome. I don't know how I should feel about being invited to the unlucky episode. This is true. Yeah, we should have warned you that it was episode 13. (laughs) But it is the halfway point, which is a milestone, which is one of the many reasons why we've asked you to join us. But this is... The L episode, and of course, L is not for lentils or legumes or many of the other things that we alluded to perhaps in our last episode, but for Layovers, which is the podcast that Paul and I host together, but also that Will was so kind enough to step into my shoes on uh, when my daughter arrived into the world. So we figured this was a perfect juncture to reciprocate the generosity of, uh, <laughs> of Paul and Will and have Paul back on the, uh, on the show. So thank you for joining us, Paul. I I feel honored. It's the first time I actually do have an actual drink in front of my podcasting studio because I, I, I find that very <laughs> hard to believe. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's an important uh, it's an important component of the show and one that I don't think that Will and I discussed it. It just happened to be that we were both <laughs> drinking the first time we recorded this episode, this podcast. But when was when did we record last? Well, was it? No, it was like a couple days after my birthday, so it was like the... Oh my god, it's been almost a month, holy cow. So thank you guys very much for the feedback on Kale, which was a divisive subject, as it so often is. And thank you to to Asmus for spending the time with us to to really kind of bust a lot of those myths and tell us how to actually prepare it so it doesn't taste like ass. I I learned so much, uh, but I, I got an interesting email, actually it was an iTunes review, about our eggplant episode way back, the letter E, and this is from... It's weird that people don't use their real names in iTunes reviews, but this mycology from America, that's about as much detail as I have. And Will and I had a chat about this before the episode, and he says, or she, just started listening, and so far, a pretty good podcast. That's generous, (laughs) thank you. But, but, I'm on the eggplant episode and had to stop to correct the following misinformation. No fruits, eggplant or otherwise, are ever, quote, male or female. Every botanical fruit is the product of a plant's ripened ovary and therefore technically, quote-unquote, female. There are no male fruits. I see this myth perpetuated with bell peppers as well. The number of seeds in a fruit can vary widely due to a number of factors, including ecological conditions and plant breeding. Anyway, (laughs) keep up the good work. Despite this minor criticism, I do really enjoy the podcast. Well, I take that as a good review, and I learned something, so... Uh, Yes, it's poor use of language. Obviously, that they're not male and female in the gender uh, binary that we're used to in the mammalian world. It is uh, a term that has become an old wives' tale 
detailed. It's basically based on the navel, as it were, down the bottom of an eggplant that some people believe that it's got an Audi navel. Uh, it it is you know analogous with 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 male um, and has less uh, seeds in it nine times out of ten. But as you mentioned, not always. Then a female, which has a bit of an innie, which again nothing to do with actual genders beyond oh that looks like an innie versus an Audi, hence the uh, the metaphor. Um, but yes, it's it's not something that you can rely on 100%. And yes, it is poor science to classify it as a gender. So thank you. Yeah, it's a, and again, we're not we're not uh, above error. And actually, we hugely appreciate being corrected. So do send those those things in. I was surprised by the feedback that I got people messaging me about Kale saying, I don't know why Kale gets a bad rap. I love it. And our brother said, and our other brother Andrew said, I like the sound of the Portuguese sausage and kale soup, which is actually delicious. Uh, Caldo Verde, that's one of, one of my favorites. So I was expecting hate mail and death threats for that episode, but um, we've had much more divisive episodes. <laughs> yeah, Avocado. I, made, I, made ca- I made kale for lunch yesterday. What did you prepare it with? So I roasted off some, some pork in a pan and then... Um, chopped up the uh, kale, threw it in there in the same pants, um, so there's the fond, uh, threw in a little bit of water, scraped out the pork fond, again, pork, uh, a little bit of yeah. uh, red uh, sherry vinegar, um, garlic, and red pepper, and then just wilted it down and had it on the side with the pork. And that is everything that we talked about in the, in the kale episode. It's like not too long cooking, real fast, hot, high heat with pork and uh, a little bit of vinegar to cut through the greeniness of it all that was good yeah now paul do you like kale yeah i actually had some last night the f- wow the hell <laughs> <laughs> it was kale night clearly it uh, uh oven baked uh you know oven roasted kale uh it was the rest was barbecue just t-bone stack over barbecue and just that for some greenery nice yeah i like it kale does go well with with beef uh, I, yeah. I find really yeah, really good. nicely Nice. Well, there you go. Again, I was expecting more hate from Vitriol for that episode, but we didn't get Maybe we'll get it for this one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> male versus a fruit. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a male fruit. Yes. Uh, well, I'm, I'm intrigued to know, Paul, now what you are drinking, what, what you have on your desk. Join us in our tradition. Uh, whiskey, Japanese whiskey. My favorite, Nika. It's oh. from uh, Hokkaido, from uh, I think the distillery is in Yoshi in Hokkaido, and uh, I didn't visit it sadly. I used to live in Japan, and this is by far my favorite whiskey. This is not a any vintage or special. It's just a traditional. I also love the bottle. Do you guys the guys know the bottle? It's very the square ish. Oh, uh, yeah, very, that's beautiful. Uh, I really, it, it's almost empty, guys. It, no, I haven't been drinking all day. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> it's just my my really my favorite whiskey, and in honor of you inviting me uh i'll put it out for you guys no that's beautiful thank you very much that's alex uh, uh what are you drinking you know what i'm also on the japanese whiskey tip uh, no way. yeah i am this is like an episode of coincidences i am drinking uh hibiki from our good friends at centauri for relaxing times make it centauri time uh i am drinking hibiki japanese harmony masters select which I got on our last trip to Japan, and it's alarmingly empty. Thank goodness I'm going to Japan in two weeks. But again, another <laughs> another beautiful bottle. Yeah, they really do good they, bottles. That, that, that's a thing, isn't it? It's definitely a thing. But this, it's uh, again same same thing as Paul. It's not it's not well. It's a reserve. It's a it's a master select, but it's not like 25 years old or anything crazy. It's just good, really good, really yeah. really pleasant. Not easy to drink. It's not that kind of thing. But it's it's just delicious and warm. 
So I'm not drinking Japanese whiskey, but I do have a Japanese uh, segue, I guess. I was getting, I was at the liquor store the other day and just picking up some, some beer for today. And uh, there was a guy looking very lost and he didn't know really much about beer and uh, Pliny or Pliny, depending on how you are uh, educated. Um, the Elder is a very famous beer that if you've seen the Attaché episode from San Francisco, uh, Alex and MG, MG Matt, Matt, Galligan, Matt Galligan, talk about. Um, and it's got this allure around it because they release it very, very um, infrequently. And so there was it had, the shipment had come into the liquor store and you're only allowed to buy one bottle at a time um, per customer. Um, and they were, they were charging like $7 a bottle. Uh, and not a big bottle. And so the guy was like, should I get that? And I'm like, no, it's hipster BS. I mean, it's a fine be- <laughs> it's, it's a fine beer, but it's not worth the hype. And so I steered him to, and he's like, I don't really know much about beer. I like a refreshing drink at the end of the long day. And I grabbed an, a bottle of Orion and gave that to him. Oh, nice. Okinawa. Yeah. yeah. So there is my Japanese connection. So you uh, can get Okinawa at your local liquor store. Yeah. Or um, uh, Orion. Yeah, Orion at my local liquor store. Jeez Louise, that's amazing. But that's not what I'm drinking. What I'm drinking is Ballast Point, which is from um, California. They're Sculpin IPA. Um, again, I'm not the biggest IPA fan, but this one I, I enjoy. It's got a like slightly darker color compared to most IPAs. It's almost the, an amber color, and it's it's refreshing. Uh, and, and it comes in a very large bottle, so that's always good. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I'm drinking. I'm drinking a beer, as as is traditional well, on this. I mean, Paul and I are in the same time zone. It's uh, it's 8.15 at night on a Sunday, so Japanese whiskey is, is, is very appropriate. Yeah, I, I, was drinking- I don't know if yeah whiskey on a California afternoon is... Not normal. <laughs> I was drinking yeah, not, whiskey last not. night, so like I'm I'm good not drinking it today. Have you done any traveling, Will, since our last conversation? Have you been anywhere? Absolutely not. And I'm no. I'm I have some coming up, but my 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 dear wife has been under the weather with flu for the last oh, week. Geez. Um and so um I've been I've been hunkered down here for the last few days, um helping cook dinner and you know all that fun stuff. Even though I cook every night, it's just like making stuff that's conducive to a flu-like constitution sure, shall we sure. say no very uh, very very well so if you're if you haven't uh, traveled to the far-flung corners of the world you must have uh, eaten some delicious stuff locally at home i'm not sure if i brought this up before but um i think it's a hunter's edition you have to be good at making spaghetti and to the point where like when we did the pen mash challenge our bike ride last summer that is our traditional meal the night before is making hunter spaghetti so i made spaghetti a couple days ago and it just hits the spot and that's for me the best thing you know i've eaten since we've last last recorded and, and you know i cooked a lot and i was able to when Kate was feeling up to ha- up to it, she could have the leftovers, and it just worked so well. So not only was it the best thing, it was the most convenient thing that I've made <laughs> since we last recorded. Nice, Paul. Have you, you, I, this is a stupid question, but have you traveled <laughs> at all in the last uh, two and a bit weeks, three weeks? Yeah, I have. But one one dish obviously stands out. It's a staple since the second, since the Korean War, I think. Uh, the Korean style fried chicken. I was in Seoul, mm-hmm. and I yes. ate that. And you know, there's there's like. 20 bil- billion of those, you know, small joints. We can have that with a beer and it's just perfect. It's spicy, you know, fried chicken. I don't even know how you say that in, in, in Korean, guys. I'm so sorry. It's uh, I, I really think it's like the American soldiers brought it with during the Korean War and that's kind of stayed there or something. But it's absolutely amazing. There's a really interesting story about why Korea and Japan are really good at frying food. 
It's because when um, the Portuguese and the Spanish were fighting back in like the 16th and 15th and 16th century, they went to the Where Vatican. Where the hell do you come up with this? Yeah, exactly. so, so the Vatican, the Vatican, the Vatican decided that everything to the west went to Spain and everything to the east went to Portugal to like Portugal. explore. Not that everyone really paid attention to this. So the Portuguese introduced batter and frying food to the Japanese, and that's where the you know your your deep fried food came from. And I I, I would be under I, okay. Look, I, I know that the fried chicken probably came from the Americans, but I would venture a guess that the concept of deep of battering something and frying it came via Japan via the Portuguese. Wow, <laughs> there, <laughs> there you, you have it. Yeah, I, th- I think I think the the name in in Korean starts with the letter Y, so that would be your Y episode right there, talking about <laughs> Korean well, fried going- fried chicken. I'm going to Seoul in a couple of weeks to the whole family, and I, well, that's going to be a culinary adventure. And I'm going to give you all the addresses. There's like a, there's a few spots, but there's this one spot I found completely by accident near Gangnam, I think. They were like, honestly, streets and streets and streets and streets of this. That's Amazing. what I want. That's what I'm That's because my kids love street food as well, so we're going to be eating ourselves into oblivion. <laughs> Paul, I before I, I talk about mine, which is not nearly as interesting... Uh, actually, I'll come back because I want you to I want to, I want you to tell a, a story that will segue beautifully into the t- today's topic. I have not traveled anywhere. I don't think <laughs> since that's, that's never good. No, I haven't. I was in Dubai. We talked about that on the last episode. I haven't been anywhere, but I was in it was in London um, a couple of days ago, and I love I love being in London because where I live, you have no options for food. It's just it's a pub or Indian takeaway, and that's it. But you go into town, and I can have whatever I want, and I. I forced myself to not have Japanese or Korean food because I'm going to have the real deal in a couple of weeks. But I was jonesing for Middle Eastern food, and there's a little tiny, tiny Lebanese joint. Paul, maybe you've heard of it, called Yala Yala in Piccadilly Circus area. Tiny, maybe has six or seven tables, and they're all Lebanese in there. And I, I just had a mezza plate with some lamb shawarma, beautiful baba ganoush, uh, tabbouleh, the, le- the fig leaves and all of that, and obviously hummus and, and flatbread and all that. It was just, and it was like eight quid for a huge plate wow. of it and some mint wow. tea. Oh, it was, and in London, central London as well. Really, really fantastic, comforting. You didn't, you didn't feel totally gross after you ate it. That was just absolutely wonderful. Um, so that was probably the best thing I've eaten since we last recorded. Ne- next door to that is one of the best... Karage, which is the Japanese version of fried chicken you can have in London, is actually mm. just uh, in Piccadilly Circus as well. The name eludes me. I'll, I'll find it out maybe during this episode, but uh, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. That's all. I need food and restaurant tips around the world, guys. By the way, we, we don't talk about that enough, do we, Will? We don't solicit no. feedback for... Uh, for restaurant recommendations. Well, given the fact that we are doing this crossover with layovers, and for those Mastication Nation listeners who do not listen to layovers, these what's two travel. Yeah, what's wrong with you? But these two <laughs> travel more than anybody else in the entire planet. So if you say, hey, there's this weird, you know, pop up restaurant in, you know, Uzbekistan, they might we'll go, go there. We'll yeah. go. We'll go just <laughs> to try it. Although I have to, I have to qualify that last statement because I think Ed Parsons listens to this show and uh, he travels way more than both of us. Yeah, there's a few uh, guys that listen to layovers that are that make our quote unquote accomplishment completely, you know, feeble, pedestrian. Yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, there are some people out there who who really do put us to shame. Um, the 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 crux of this episode and the reason one of the many reasons why we have Paul with us is that we are going to spend today talking about a almost universally loathed 
<laughs> subject, not just today, but probably for the last 50 years, and that is airplane food. It is the standard joke for most mediocre stand-up comedians. Hey, 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 Jerry Seinfeld is a saint. Yeah, that's true. He pretty <laughs> much What's the deal on the... with airline food? Oh, there you go. There's Will Seinfeld episode. Not bad. Well, that's serviceable. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, it has been derided for basically since it started. I, there was a period during, during I think, the uh, Imperial Airways days where it was... Uh, pal- well, you could choke it down, but I think we've, we've come a long way from those days. But to kick us off, Paul, I want you to tell our listeners and Will about the meal that you had on one of your legs on Garuda. And I think you know which one I'm talking about. Of course. I think I think the bar has been set and I think we're just gonna we're just gonna set the bar high and pull it all to hell from here on out. <laughs> I need I need to say two things before I explain this. First, yes it is true for those who don't listen to layovers, I'm lucky enough, like Alex, we are often in the front of the cabin, so we get to taste these, you know, silly named food, uh, like it was made from a French chef or something. (laughs) Uh, But I will say something to qualify what I'm about to say. I'm a simple person, as I understood with fried chicken. I'm usually not really attracted by super complicated foods, right? Maybe because I was lucky to be brought up in a family with my mother, who was Finnish, but she learn how to uh, to do Greek food. And I had like great food every single day. So for me, for me food is about being having comfort food. It's not yeah, about having, you know, sophi- an sophisticated stuff. So this was on, I went to Seoul via Jakarta. Yes, it makes no sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, on the second leg, which was Jakarta to Seoul, uh, I had what was qualified as some kind of breakfast because it was due to jet lag, etc. The name, I'm going to spell it out, is called Nasi Uduk Betawi. It was, uh, so it was steamed rice in coconut oil uh, with uh, some chicken. There was a quail egg or two, I think, if I remember. There was a uh, fish, kakalang fish in balada sauce, some green beans and some other little greeneries around. I don't remember everything on it. It is the best plate i've ever had in any plane ever in my life and wow. and and we've done you've done too like emirates first class and we've done other stuff that are and we'll probably talk about some of them are amazing this was maybe because it was homey it was indonesian food and i always go for the food of the airline if i can it was amazing I, I, I even asked, do they have second servings? And no, they didn't, because it was so, so amazing. So just to be clear here, this was a breakfast dish. So it was served on breakfast. Maybe it's something that we'll touch on today. You know how the the timing of the food is sometimes yeah, very yeah. strange in aircrafts, right? So yes, it was supposed to be breakfast. Is it, maybe you have Indonesian listeners, is it supposed to be breakfast? I have no idea. Uh, that's a good, okay because breakfast is even worse than the normal fare on an airplane. But I, Alex, when you were in Singapore during the Singapore episode of Attaché, whatever time it was in the morning, like four or five in the morning, you were eating nasi lemak, right? Yeah, which is breakfast. Yeah, so I, I mean, it's not shocking to believe that a nasi variation is a breakfast dish on a plane. 
Yeah, I think I think Nazi uh, means rice, doesn't it? It means rice. I think so too. Fried yes. rice, yeah. Yeah, in, I think so uh, too. In, in, in Indonesian. So so that is that is the peak. That's the pinnacle of achievement in airborne <laughs> culinary arts. Okay. So 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 put that in the back of your mind for a second because it's just going to go downhill from here. So <laughs> well, Paul, I want you to I want you to keep this in the back of your mind as I'm I'm about to go through some of the science, some of the reasons, some of the uh economics of why airplane food sucks and the science that i explain i want you to have in the back of your mind what you ate and how it holds up to this science because they may have cracked the code on what works it's not that it's good it just works at altitude so well that's uh, yeah because 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 airline food has had a bad reputation for like we said generations and it's not good, but why is it not good? Does it actually not taste good, or are we just being cynical? No, it's 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 completely our own our own fault. The food, okay. Look, I would say sixty percent of it is not the food's fault. Forty percent of it is the food's fault, and I'll explain <laughs> that in a second. So, like you mentioned, it has been something that has been a plague to the airborne traveler for generations. And of course, the folks that tried to figure this out in the most scientific and rigorous way possible. Were the Germans. Uh, so in 2010, Lufthansa did a study to figure out why food on planes sucked. Um, the, the thing that I find shocking is no one had thought to do this before, or at least um, done it as in-depth as I Lufthansa did. I don't think they did. care. Well, exactly, exactly. I mean, um, <laughs> I think they're just seeing what they could get away with until we're like, you know, uh, this is not cool. But but so they they went into a depressurized, they created a depressurized room to you know simulate the altitude or the pressurized cabin of a planet cruising altitude. They also dropped the humidity to about 12% relative humidity, which is drier than some deserts. Um, it's, you know, sometimes the airplane can be a little more humid than that, but that was like what they wanted to base that. They also simulated uh, the vibrations of the seats uh, and engine noise. And what they found was that we are massively less sensitive to salty and sweet in this environment. It's crazy that noise affects it, but a little piece of information I found was that uh, British Airways, to try and uh, combat this, uh, released uh, channels to listen to while you're eating food that will block out the background noise. Of course. Well, actually, there was was a... I think Paul and I talked about this in layers maybe 10 or 12 episodes ago that... They they did a study that recommended wearing uh, noise canceling headphones, headphones when you absolutely. eat. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and apparently BA also handed out na- uh, nasal sprays to to help clear your olfactory glands. Uh, that that did- wasn't wasn't that not Blumenthal or whoever his name is the chef who came oh, up yeah. with this idea. Yes. Yes. Having a nasal douche. Yes. Oh, Jesus. Nobody wants that before. <laughs> no. But also, you don't pick up odors very well um, when you're when you're in this environment uh, due to all the men- things I mentioned. Also. <laughs> I don't know what we think about this. So two things. One, and I sorry to get crude on you, but you can rip a fart on a plane and no one notices because you can't smell it. Um, two, the background noise um, on on a plane, um, you know, affects your ability to smell. And it always reminds me of the Simpsons episode where Homer farts and turns the radio up. And <laughs> yeah. like it's just like it's just gonna block the sound. Apparently it does. Well, okay, okay, so so th- so that's an interesting question. We'll have to try this experiment, Paul. Does food taste better on a BA seven on a BA A three eighty than it does on a BA seven forty seven? Because they'll have the same menu. Apparently so. I, I read someone. I don't remember what it was, but there was uh, the newer aircraft, like the three hundred and fifty, uh, the three hundred and eighty, but also the the Dreamliner. Uh, I think now 
the humidity levels are better, obviously. So it feels like yeah. it's more like um, like if you were to let's say Verbier in Switzerland, or you know, like uh, in some ski resort in Colorado. You know, something so that height, that kind of altitude doesn't mean the conditions are exactly the same. But mm. compared to before, which you were really on Mount Everest on a seven four seven, it was like no oxygen whatsoever or something. Yeah. And, yeah. and also, I think you know the. Uh, I have to remember which audience I'm talking to. The 747 <laughs> is much, much louder in inside the cabin oh. than the A380 and the uh, 350, which are newer airplanes, um, and are noticeably, and the 787, noticeably quieter. So would the same meal taste, quote unquote, better on one of these newer, quieter, lower uh, altitude, cabin pressure altitude and, and uh, higher humidity? I would love you guys to, to test that. I know the 747s are going the way of the Dodo, so you know, you're know you losing your opportunities to do it. Uh, maybe even... Shut up, Will. <laughs> uh, maybe even more of an interesting would be go up in your own private plane and see. Those are the science factors that, that, that affect our ability to taste food. So that's not the food's fault. The aspect of it that is the food's fault and this is where, like, when I worked for Donata, which is the ground handling company for Emirates, which I talked about on the layovers episode, was the fact that I also worked, at, like, you know, understanding the transportation of the food from the sky chefs or whoever else was making the food. They had to make it in bulk and they had to flash freeze it. Until very, very recently, they didn't even factor in the cooking of the food on the plane. So they cooked it to when it was done on at sea level and then flash, flash froze it and then wondered why you know fish was disgusting and chicken was rubbery once they reheated it back up in the plane. The other factor is that they have crappy ovens up there. They're basically convection, you know, it, they're not real ovens. All they're doing is, is just forcing hot air around these. Another thing I was thinking about, about was the fact that like, like hungry man dinners never taste very good either. Like, you know, the, yeah. the, you know, TV dinners, that's basically the technology that we're using in planes right now or 90% of the planes. So it's more to do with the fact that the food is not prepared correctly until they put a lot of effort into figuring out that chicken needs to come off 10 minutes before the beef yeah. does. And then you, then you flash freeze it. And then it, that becomes an economy thing. Like you've got to factor, factor in every single variety of food and it's different schedules on cooking before it gets frozen and then put up in the plane rather than just doing a bulk, like flash boil as it were. And then, and then, you know, throwing them up on the plane. And that's kind of where you see the difference between like a United who are crap at this all the way up to, you know, your, your Emirates who have figured out a little bit of a better way to do this. And rice is a good one because rice, the, the way that the starch works, it, it, it can it can be cooked and reheated and cooked and reheated. I mean, it can get dangerous because of pathogens and bacteria, but it, the food itself doesn't fall apart, as it were. So that's that's why maybe rice yeah. is a good one. I, I, th yeah. I think also the... Uh, because you mentioned Emirates, at the end, at the end of the other day, we also have to think that you have to suddenly serve food approximately at the same time in coach for like 350 people. Yeah. yeah. And uh, how can you do that? And I think uh, Emirates does that, but other airlines do that. They also reduce the number of movements, gestures that uh, a crew has to do. So I think Emirates has a three move uh, limit for a coach. So they have to put something out of the, I don't know, the the galley and put it on a tray and open or something there's like a limit they, they calculate even to be extremely efficient so there's not as you don't have that much liberty at what you can do wow. uh, yeah i think that's yeah, and like, 
I didn't know that. I would love to have a stopwatch on from the moment the food comes out of the convection ovens on the plane to when the last person gets their their meal uh, from the from the trolley. Like that could be based on how long it takes them to get to that person. It could be like 15, 20 minutes. And so that's going to play a big factor on overcooking or over steaming. And that's why, you know, freshness of vegetables is always pretty tough. In the last 10 years, we've got into a little bit of an arms race in the pointy end of the cabin. Mm-hmm. And now you're having a lot of these dine on demand and chef and, you know, you, you can actually get a serviceable <laughs> poached egg or a, you know, a, um, you know, really actually very decent eggs. The eggs on Singapore Airlines in their pointy end of the airplane. Uh, right very now. good. Yeah, yeah. Very good. Like and, they're, they're, and, and they're done in the plane. They're done on the plane, so they have the equipment to do these amazing things. That does not scale. And, you know, we'll, Paul and I at the end, and, and we'll, we'll talk more about some of the, the most extraordinary sort of in-flight culinary achievements. Because what they can do at a small scale is really quite ex- extraordinary. But, the, you know, as Paul said, I mean, the three, yeah, there really are 300 people on an Emirates A3 or BA or anybody else who has a 380. It's, mm-hmm. it's not easy to do that well. And so when you have a decent meal in economy... Or even a decent dish. It doesn't have to be a decent meal. You, you, you. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I'm pleasantly surprised. Yeah, yeah. and also, also, you, you have to. I think factoring you know, besides, and I'm sure we're going to talk a little bit about it. Besides the special meals, you know, kosher, halal, uh, whatever, gluten free, yeah, etc. Yeah. Besides those, you also have to kind of find the common denominator amongst these 400 people. You cannot go too spicy, or you cannot go. Yeah. Maybe some people are lactose intolerant, but yeah. not, not too salty. No, you have to find something for everyone, and you also have to find someone who is 16 and the other guy was 80, and the other. So you have to, and someone is Indian and the other person is I don't know Swiss like me, whatever, and you you. So you, you tend to go to the kind of very average and try to satisfy enough everybody. And of course, you're losing that bit. You're losing the edge of any food by doing yeah. that. So I do, want, I do want to circle back to that after um, in, in a minute um, about hacks and tips on how to get away, you know, to how to get the best possible things <laughs> and get your feedback on that um, in, a, in a minute, uh, because there are ways to avoid some of the crappier stuff on a plane. But the other big thing, the other big question around food on planes and, and, and beverages on planes. Uh, the question I have for you, as a rule, do either of you drink on planes? Alcohol. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a rule. <laughs> no, I mean, like, I mean, so, so a lot of people just say straight up, I, I just, I will not drink alcohol on a plane. I don't go, I don't go nuts. I, I'm a little bit more reserved than I would be on the ground. So well, exactly. also okay. it depends on the legs of the flight. If it's just a one hour hop in the middle of the day, I might not. Yeah. If yeah, it's no, like exactly. a 12 hour flight. Well, you know, food and, and drinks, I'm not getting hammered is not a point, but it's also a way to simply pass the time, right? <laughs> yes, yes. I'm sorry. Yeah. But. <laughs> Spoken like a true connoisseur. <laughs> so, so Alex, you made an interesting point there. You, you said, um, I'm more aware or I'm more wary or I don't drink as much as I, I would uh, on the ground. And, and what's, your, what's, your feed, what's your feeling towards that? Why do you think that? Dehydration. Okay, cool. Yeah, I was, I was for- to say, I, I actually carry... Uh, because I only drink, I know it's going to sound super presumptuous, sorry guys, I only drink one drink in planes is champagne. Uh, that's the only thing I <laughs> oh, drink. Oh, so that's like, that's a... Per- and that's the thing, and that's the yeah. thing that don't pe- I don't drink almost at all outside of a plane. I don't know, I just associate, I just like the idea of, it's silly, it's like feeling like James Bond in a flight or something. But, yeah. to your point, I carry with me, and that's really bad, I carry with me usually uh, tablets of aspirins because I know that after just two cops, I'm going to start like, oh my God, you know, because of, you know, lack of 
I don't know if it's oxygen or lack of humidity or something, but I'm I will get not drunk, but I will have the feeling of the an impending hangover. Yeah, uh, yeah, faster. But I'm not going to be drunk. It's really just the, the some kind of feeling of a dryness, much faster. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Alex and Paul, thank you for not diving into my elephant trap there you do not get more drunk on planes that is oh, wow. an absolute myth because that is a very common yes myth. So uh, yeah, why yeah. you Position. feel that way and look uh it's it's your classic correlation and causation do you feel like you're lightheaded do you feel like you're more drunk yes are you drunk no so a study in the 1930s from uh, Columbia University. I love that they were testing this 1930s, back in the 1930s. Exactly. Yeah. Back in the 30s, they were like, okay, we've been flying for like eight minutes. Let's figure out whether or not, you know, uh, we get drunk. Actually, Wait, it wasn't, to, to be fair, it was not specifically around uh, flying. It was more to do with altitude's effect on alcohol. So they just made a bunch of uh, rock, you know, uh, mountaineers drink at high altitudes. So um, Yeah, because that's the alternative is either you drink when you're on a plane or on Mount Everest, right? Yes. That's the only two things (laughs) you commonly do. Yeah, exactly. Um, So Professor McFarland of Columbia University uh, examined the interaction of alcohol, alcohol and altitude and concluded that two or three drinks at 10,000 to 12,000 feet, which is a little above the pressurization of a plane, but close enough, was equivalent to four or five on the ground. And the study was taken as truth. And for some reason, later studies, even though they've managed to debunk it, just don't get the traction. uh, traction. And so you, you hear this old wives tale of one drink up here counts as five down there and that's where that 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 line came from basically what they did was they they gave them a bunch of like motor function cognitive okay cognitive and motor function tasks they sucked at them at altitude while drunk and not drunk and then they got them (laughs) back down to the down to sea level and they were fine when they weren't drunk and they were not great when they were drunk so Let's put it this way. Being at altitude is like being drunk in the sense of like you feel some of the effects that you're used to when you're drunk or under the influence of anything. Um, But they found that your blood alcohol level isn't any different. So if you drink alcohol, if you drank a beer at sea level and drank a beer at cruising altitude, your blood alcohol level after half an hour will be exactly the same. And that is what defines your, Mm. your, your being drunk. Whether or not you feel different is not the same as being more drunk. I know uh, it is a bit pedantic, but that's the actual science. No, I mean, it, 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 it is science. I mean, I think I have to say that I don't really drink beer on an airplane because I don't know why, and this might be my imagination again, that I, I feel it's more carbonated and um, I feel fart. more more gassy. <laughs> yes. But there is an exception. There is an exception. Paul and I have talked uh, about I this guess. ad nauseum. I was about to get there, yeah. <laughs> on, on layovers. Cathay Pacific worked with a Hong Kong brewery to create Betsy, Betsy the Betsy yeah. beer, which is named after their first DC3. And our first uh, dog. And our first dog, yeah. I don't think I ever mentioned that. Um, and it is it was crafted to be um, slightly more carbonated and slightly more the the flavor astringent. Yes. Astringent. Uh, so it has a little bit more of a bite, which and I don't know, Paul, if you've had have you had one on the ground? Yeah, so I had one both at our favorite lounge in the world uh, in yes. <laughs> in Hong Kong, and one in flight, and the one in flight. Felt much much better. It tastes much one. better. Yeah, it? yeah. The, the one the, the one on the ground was a bit bland. I'd yes, say. That, okay, okay. It wasn't just me then. And the one on an in flight, it was uh, it was a fantastic story because the flight attendant was 
she was trying to make me, you know, again, I told you guys, I only drink champagne. And she says, you should really try Betsy. I'm like, okay, well, I will try Betsy. And she told me like that, I'll put five aside for you. And I look at her like, <laughs> nice. who See, do you that's... think am I? I'm not, I'm not a drunk. <laughs> well, you are very tall. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, I don't, it, it's very difficult to find if you're not in Hong Kong. It's a beautiful bottle. Um, I've, I have one um, from my friends at Cathay Pacific, which I'm keeping. Um, but it's, I, 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 I think it's it great. Was, I think it was temporary. I'm not sure if they're going to prolong it. I know it was available in a few bars and hotels yeah. in Hong Kong. But again, it's on the ground. So I don't know how much you appreciate it besides yeah. of having the cool factor. I, I, will say, I will say this about the tasks that they assigned this poor gentleman to do. I also assign myself tasks when I'm flying. If I cannot operate the IFE or the seat anymore, it means that I'm really... <laughs> then it's I'm time had, to call it. Uh, well, call it okay, let me, yeah. let me put it this way. The reason that people go full Alec Baldwin on planes and not is not because you're drunk. <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's because of, uh, you know, things that make you feel like you are you are drunk. And, and you both hit the nail on the head with two things you said earlier. Dehydration. The, okay. the lack of humidity just wicks water away from you. And I was reading on KLM's website, they, they don't demand, but they sort of enforce that for every for every alcoholic drink, they want to give you a bottle of water or a yeah. glass of water. And, and I, that's that's a, I have rule. that sort of loose policy as well, that for every drink yeah. I have, I have a, a glass of water as well, because you, you don't want to arrive after you know a 12 hour flight you don't want to do it because i don't care what anybody says airplane hangovers are worse than normal people hangovers. absolutely and then the other thing is that you're not drunk you're hypoxic and so because there's less oxygen in the in the cabin than you are used to there's less oxygen going to the brain and that makes you feel lightheaded dizzy and we've all done this we've all cried to a, t- a terrible rom-com on a plane because we are <laughs> hypoxic yeah it is true i do get a little over emotional on airplane you do and it's because of the combination of the dehydration and the hypoxia you Yes, the alcohol may exacerbate the the uh, dehydration. And, and so if you ever want a legitimate example of this that's not getting drunk on a plane, and I have to do this a lot because I have to go to Denver a lot. Every time I went to Denver the last six months, I would wake up, especially the most recent time when the humidity was like zero, like 12%. Um, I would wake up. My lips would be bleeding. I'd have a nosebleed. Yeah. I would feel like I was hungover and I hadn't drunk a drop of water um and it was uh, sorry drunk, i haven't had a, a sip of alcohol and it's just because it's simulating the, the concept of a hangover with less oxygen going to my brain so i would have a really bad headache so that's what's happening the alcohol has somebody on I, one of the science forums i was reading if you're an angry person a depressed person or whatever thing you're just going to bring that out doesn't mean you're drunk it just means you're an asshole so like brings out your inner asshole exactly so don't do that so you know those are the those are the sciences behind you know alcohol or drinking and and food um which i guess kind of nicely segues into you know you guys being the pros on this when you're not in the pointy end of the plane which i know god forbid what is your best way of making sure you get good food on the plane well hold on i want i want to go back Okay, the go alcohol on. thing go just on. for a second. I think Paul does too. I could see him on the screen, but I, I, you know, I, I like a glass of wine or a port of snifter at Chris or a snifter port at Christmas. A port of snifter, but huh? A port of snifter. <laughs> this is good whiskey. <laughs> I will tell you exactly why I drink occasionally on airplanes socially. Let me let me read you an excerpt from the. Emirates first class wine list. Oh my God, oh, yeah. The champagne they give you when you walk on board is 2009 Dom Perignon, and it's bottomless. 
The one of the reds is a Chateau de Tetre 2000 Chateau Morgo, or there's a uh, 2007 Chevalier de Lascombe, which, I mean, these are, not only are they incredibly expensive, they are incredibly difficult to find. Uh, and once you've had, and there's a, there's a Behringer Private Reserve Chardonnay that only Emirates can get hold of. After you've had your dessert and you are having some cheese, the port they give you is a Graham's 1963 single vintage tawny port. That's twice my age. <laughs> that is, yeah. And... They have at the front, uh, although interesting layer was discussion we should have, but uh, at the front of the first class cabin ne- next to the shower, yes, shower, there is this drinks rack that you can go and help yourself to uh, the most extraordinary collections of of scotches, of whiskeys, of, of, of gins, ports that I've ever seen in my life. I am never, ever going to buy those things for myself, nor am I going to pay to enjoy them in a restaurant. Absolutely. But if I get them as part of my ticket, I'm going to try. And I, I posted this wine list on Reddit, on their wine subreddit. And people, you know, a lot of people are like, wow, that's amazing. I hope you tried them and I hope you enjoyed them. What did they taste like? How were they? And occasionally someone would say, oh, well, altitude ruins your taste and, you know, you wouldn't enjoy it. And a lot of people had the same reaction that I did, which was, Bitch, I'm never going to be able to drink this, so let me have this. It was amazing. It was free. It was, well, yeah. yeah I mean, I, it was, I, it was I, not actually, free. Actually, I, I believe that high-altitude wines work best in, so that's why Malbec is a very good red wine to have in flight. Oh, because that's they, interesting. There I you think go. They, that's a good they, tip. They're closer. Actually, I think Emirates, I don't remember if it was in first class or a business class. I have way too many menus, guys, in front of me. I'm never going to be able to read all this out loud for you. Uh, I think they also had, at some point, they used Malbec for one of their beef. So I, I'm sure that there's a reason for that. It's not only because Malbec is something that people, you know, it's one of these names that everybody kind of knows. I think it's mm. also because it's a high-altitude one and it works better. Champagne kind of loses a little bit, but not that much. The, you know, the, the, the fact that it's uh, carbonated actually makes it still very, very potent in, in flight. Uh, yeah, it's and, actually, and pleasant as well. I, yeah, I think very, it's one of the reasons why they... And I think you can tell an airline by what they what they serve as a commitment to an experience, and I'm putting my customer experience hat on. But so yeah, uh, Emirates do Dom Perignon BA in first, and this is how nerdy Paul and I are. I we're, we're, we have our stack of airplane menus with us because we actually keep them. Uh, they, they do uh, Laurent Perrier Grand Siècle, which is very very good. I think. I mean, I don't know anything about wine, but I know what tastes nice, and I also know what's expensive. <laughs> so, yeah, it so is. I, these 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 are very expensive. I mean, if you were to actually pay first class on Emirates, which is goes from what for three thousand dollars to I don't know fifteen thousand dollars for a flight, depending on your flight, you'd expect to have like a pretty damn good wine. One right? would hope. <laughs> one would hope. And I think you know, Emirates have taken this as a as a as an asset on their on their balance sheet. They. They have a, a a cellar in France that has six hundred million dollars worth of wine. Oh, in wine, it. yeah, yeah. So they um, source it like years before sometimes because they want. That's why they have some wines that's impossible to find in other airlines. Yeah. Because, but they have, you know, I think they also prepare like almost two hundred thousand meals a day. So they are really like a huge network. They have to be able to provide, you know, yeah. the quality and also the consistency. consistency oh my God, that's the whiskey talking. Um, <laughs> uh, amongst the different uh, 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 different routes they're doing. So that yeah. I, they have to source and try. And also they also have 
uh, done like uh, Singapore and a few others. They have done these pressurized rooms where they try the, the wine, but also the food mm-hmm. in similar conditions as if, if, uh, as if it were on planes to make sure that these are wines and or champagnes and or, of course, food that actually work. Other airlines have done it, but Emirates being so you know big Emirates. and also being pretty recent so they have made that to an art you know they, yeah. they really they I, have... I appreciate their their uh, their approach and commitment to it i mean it, it, it's really quite they are the single largest maybe the second behind costco buyer in the world of dom perignon Pretty, and also, it's interesting. It's, it's interesting because they they are in a pretty unique, you know, American Airlines, U.S. Airlines, not American, not AA. Yeah, <laughs> have multiple hubs, uh, which means that because that's the thing as well. You know, sometimes you can feel that the food on the same airline, depending on the route, is different because, of course, the catering comes from that point wherever that is. Emirates, because they basically fly everything from Dubai, I'm not talking about the return routes, but at least from Dubai, they want this consistency, and again, this word, and again, the whiskey, to uh, to be there. Whereas other airlines that have multiple hubs in the world try to also average again, because they know they might know that the catering in some city yeah. might not be the same that in another city, etc. That's why you're going to be disappointed by a United Turkey Sandwich wherever you are, because they're making it easy. <laughs> but, 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 but they do the ice cream, the sundae. I'm, yeah. That, that, and you know what? I think that's... Uh, maybe you have the science. I don't. I think that ice cream is one of the things that doesn't change at all when you have it in flight. The taste is exactly the same. Yeah. Sweet does get dulled, but that's why things that are super sweet actually are nice. And people that like, you know, oh, I'm not a big ice cream person or what oh, that's too sweet, it kind of rounds the edges off. So I, I don't know. Usually what they do is they make things super sweet or super salty on planes. Um, the things that last really well or, or work well are, are savory and spicy food. That stuff they don't really need to augment. So I guess, yeah. I mean, I, I, I always used to love when, when we were on Cathay Pacific and it used to come around with the, the Haagen-Dazs ice cream as well. I know they don't do the United Sunday, but still, it, it's free ice cream. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. There, there's, there's some in-flight wine snobbery for you. <laughs> But let's go back to your question, Will. What, so it's, what do we do? Do we have a tactic when we're flying in the cheap seats, which is more often than you might think, uh, for getting not yeah. terrible food? Yeah. So mine is I order one of the special menus. Explain this to our, our listeners. So I, why? I, invariably, I will order something from the, you know, a, a Hindu meal or an Asian meal or a vegetarian or something because they're produced at much, 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 much smaller quantities and they're produced much closer to departure time because they don't uh, aren't 100% sure how many they need to produce. With the rest of the catering, they will know weeks if not months in advance how the flight is looking and how the flight the day before and day after and last season looks and so they can get an idea of how many uh, meals they need to prepare but it's not the same with those custom ones so I usually order one of those or a kid's meal uh, <laughs> I want my nuggets <laughs> I I actually bring my own food often when I'm in coaching Do you? Uh, because you know it's going to be bland anyway and it's going to be okay-ish so, I mean, short haul flights, meaning flight less than two hours, yeah. they don't even serve food anymore in some planes anyway, or you have to buy it to directly. Buy it, yeah. So, meaning so, I'd rather buy the sandwich beforehand than having an overpriced sandwich within the flight by wh- whoever it is. It's not only low-cost carriers. Everybody does it now. Yeah. So, this is I mean, literally I- a conversation I was having with Kate, my wife, right before this, and she brought this question up, and she was like, I would love to know everyone's opinion on those people that bring their own food on a plane. And I said, I don't like them 
No offense, Paul, but I think it's because <laughs> there's a couple. There's a couple of reasons. One, I remember being a kid and mom pulling out chipolata sausages wrapped in paper towel from a Ziploc <laughs> bag, and like, there's like, God damn, I just want the. I don't care. Like, fine, whatever. That's okay. The one that bugs me is the guy who's gone to Burger King in, in, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. in the terminal who's bringing on and then doesn't realize that he's got to eat this before takeoff or his soda is going to go over the, all over the place. He's got nowhere to put it for takeoff. That yeah. or somebody who's in Austin who's just brought on Franklin's barbecue who's flying it back to San Francisco and all I want to do is like, dude, just open it. Just open it, man. Yeah, you make, you, <laughs> no, you, you're right. Now, we're talking something that is not smelly, etc. Yeah, you, you have to be very judicious about what you... And also, uh, yeah, and also you have to think about the other passengers. It's not only farts; it's also food that smell, right? So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> your, mic- yeah, one- your microwaved uh, tuna casserole should not be coming from the plane. Jeez, I, but I, t- I yeah, I, I think um, you, yeah, you you have to be courteous and and think about what is actually gonna smell bad and what people might react viscerally to. I, I have to say, uh, I flew BA on a short haul flight, and they have recently introduced. Uh, buy on board as a partnership with Marks and Spencer. And I ordered some superfood, quote unquote, salad or whatever. I was like feta and mung bean and quinoa and stuff. And the flight attendant came by, she's like, how was that? And I, I, maybe I'd had a couple of um, in-flight cocktails or whatever. And my filter was turned off when I said, surprisingly not disgusting. <laughs> and it was, it was really good. And it was, it was exactly the same thing that you would get in an M&S. And M&S is, is pretty famous for their, for their food. There was in the, nine, in the 90s, probably 96, 97, there was in Switzerland where I was born, there was a, an airline called Crosser, which then became yeah. the current Swiss with Swissair went in bank, into bankruptcy. Uh, and they had in 96, 97, they had a McDonald's plane for short haul. You could do Geneva, Zurich, and, and back with McDonald's on board. So there you go. That's not Burger nice. King, but you would have had... I, I would, would have been have, all over that. <laughs> me too. <laughs> was it A&A or JAL that did KFC well, for a while? JAL. JAL they do. And JAL also did, uh, what's the Yoshinoya? The, uh, oh, my God. You know, God. ginger pickles, uh, yeah, 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 shimmy yeah, yeah. spice, etc. that you find in everybody everywhere in Japan. The interesting this, because I had this, uh, it was, I think, 2011, 12, I don't remember exactly when they did uh, JAL but they because of the science that uh, Will just explained their presentation they had to separate the rice and the beef in the way they presented it whereas if you go to Yoshinoya in Japan uh, in one of these joints you'll have everything like mixed together they so they had to be conscious on how they did this and as a to, just to geek out the, the tray it was marked air Yoshinoya. <laughs> that was fantastic. So cool. But you know what? You know what? Talking about sometimes I wish that airlines, instead of either not giving a S or she would just do these kind of tie ins, you know, yeah, talk to Burger yeah. King or yeah. talk to Pizza Hut. I don't know. But just one question because on the follow up of what you said, Will, because you haven't answered what you would do yourself, but would you not also, depending on the length of the flight, simply eat before the flight to just not yeah, eat? Yeah. Um, I probably have not eaten on a plane in three, four years. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I like, And I have done long distance. I mean, look, I'm not doing as much long distance traveling as I used to. I think I, the most frequent stuff I've been doing is, you know, I've done London like three times in the last like four years. But like, you know, I go to the East Coast from California a lot, which is a five hour flight roughly. I will always eat 
I'll have a drink depending on the time of day, but I'll have I'll have something to eat and a drink prior to the pl- prior to the plane. And there's two reasons for this. One, food not so great on most airlines I'm flying. Two, I don't want to be woken up because I try to sleep. I'm one of these people that can fall asleep before pushback and wake up when we land. That's helpful. The third one is, and and we've talked about this on the on the po- podcast a little bit. I don't want a reason to get up and go to the bathroom. <laughs> like I don't want like I yes I should do my stretches and not get DVT or anything like that but like I want to know how the food I ate is going to react before I get on a metal tube where I've got to line up you do have a sensitive constitution exactly exactly so the last thing I want to do is is get into a situation where I think I'm going to die at 30,000 feet I mean I I eat on airplanes I have a sense of professional duty <laughs> <laughs> Professional yeah, so I had a podcast about like like food. Yeah, and, I'm, and I'm genuinely yeah. curious. No, but Alex, Alex, because I'm like you, uh, but that's why I don't eat in lounges. But I know that a few times you do eat in lounges. I know we know that Cafe Pacific has this noodle bar, for instance, it's oh, fantastic. Yeah, it's so good. Or and again, you have to be lucky to be in a lounge. Uh, I know it's not always the case, and with us, even if you don't fly in front of the aircraft because of the miles, the status we have, we end up sometimes in a lounge and we have one of these things called priority pass, which gives you entry to to a lounge. Don't you, maybe Will, the question is for you as well. Would you rather have, because some lounges, the food is really amazing. Would you choose your lounge food over the airplane food, even if you know that you might be in business class or what would you do? I would, I would always, I always am interested in what the lounge food is, but generally the lounge for me is more for the drinks, I guess. Just because, like, I don't, I like sitting at bars and stuff like that. And and sorry to, to steer the way the conversation away from you, Alex. But uh, our good friend Keith, when we, when he was flying out to Japan and Hong Kong uh, a few years ago, it was his first time traveling like really internationally. Uh, he got to the airport and was like, "Right, let's get like some drinks." And I'm like, and I told him, uh, like, I let him know, like, you don't need to drink before. There's free drinks on the plane. He was like. Yeah, but for how much? I'm like, no, they're free. Because there's a <laughs> thing as free alcohol in domestic airlines in America. He's like, so I could just order like seven Sapporos in a row? He's like, yeah, if you want. He's like, this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I'd usually avoid, unless I'm in a Cathay lounge, because uh, I fly on BA a lot, and their food in the air, I think, is better than their food in the lounge. Cause I agree, yeah. It, they have to scale. Even in the, even the first lounge, it's not, it's not brilliant. No, I agree. It's it's really a bit disappointing, even I would say, yeah, compared to other great. first lounge we've done, and not only in uh, because even the you know the United lounges, the new one, the Polaris, the new one, Polaris mm. is super confusing as a term, but the newest one, I have very good food. BAs, ah, yeah, it's it's not, so I I I would definitely probably eat on board. I'm I'm I, again c- curious and interested. Like you know you I, you look at a. Uh, at a menu, I'm looking at a. I'm not going to name the airline. It's not fair, but it's like there's a professional curiosity when they when they've got on the menu something like uh, um, seared fillet of Aberdeen Angus beef with summer vegetables, fondant potatoes, and horseradish. I'm like, I'm actually quite curious to see how they can fuck this up. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, so, but uh, hold on, hold on. Before before we move in, because I want to I want to answer my own question here because uh, I own I don't eat in lounges, but I'll make one exception. I'm a, again I'm a simple person. I love sandwiches, and I will try every single sandwich in every single lounge <laughs> because I love sandwiches. My favorite ones used to be the ones in Swiss were offering in their senator lounges, whether in Zurich or in Geneva. They were like these rounded bread because bread is the other thing that never works in planes, by the way. But mm. uh, 
really small, nothing special. We're talking about tuna sandwiches, chicken sandwich, right? Really nothing. But I just love these. They now they went for the you know the sliced bread type of thing that we get in every single lounge in the world, and I really am not a big fan of these you know the two spread thing. So and I, because I know I think don't think Alex you've been there yet. The Al Murkan Lounge, the business class lounge from Qatar Airways no, in I Doha. They have it's a massive lounge where like the ceiling is like higher than a church or something is or a mosque <laughs> in that case obviously it's they have a deli within the lounge wow. and the deli only serves sandwiches so that for me was a dream they had a chicken mortadella and ciabatta beef pastrami in olive loaf turkey ham in wheat bread a veg- veggie extreme obviously grilled uh, cheese sandwich always a favorite caprice caprese sorry sandwich so that for me was the only time in my life I remember I I tried all of them actually and then of course I didn't eat the plane. <laughs> yeah. I can just imagine you coming back in the the, the lounge staff and you're like the sandwich guy's back. <laughs> <laughs> go go go. <laughs> <laughs> but good to know sandwiches and lounges. Yeah, I, I, yeah bread bread never works on planes I, and I don't know. Why. I have to say though, you guys mentioned it. And I think you know I I'm interested in a, in, a, in a moment to move move to the best and most surprising meals that you've had on airplanes. Yeah. But but one of the things that you guys mentioned, you know, the McDonald's thing, the, the Yoshinoya thing, about tying up with brands. And you know who nailed this is JetBlue. Yeah. I, I, I love JetBlue. And that, that hurts a little bit to say because I was part of the team that founded Virgin America. But if anybody's going to rise to that mantle, I have unlimited love for JetBlue. And I flew on their, their Mint product, uh, which is their... I don't know what you would call it, the business class that they have sleeper, on certain airplanes yeah. for sleeper. Yeah, and their food is unbelievable. They um, just just the little uh, partnerships they have with the right brands to create a really good experience. So just uh, you know, um, on a day flight when you you get great food, but you get a cornflake chocolate chip marshmallow cookie from Momofuku Milk Bar, David Chang's amazing restaurant. Because the pastry woman from there is now like her own superstar. And I yeah, she's name. a superstar, and 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 it was deli- And it's you know, milk is a great uh, Momofuku. Obviously, is an incredible brand, and milk is is a great brand. Not only that, it was bloody delicious, and the uh, the food that they have on their red eyes is Saxon and Parole which is a New York uh, institution they and hot bread kitchen they've got relationships with and Brooklyn Roasting Company they've they've figured out the right people to do the right things double rainbow ice cream uh, afterwards from San Francisco JetBlue has nailed it since, absolutely nailed it since you're on bread Alex because I know you fly in the pointy end from time to time will you might have but you just said you're not eating in planes so I don't know how this question you can answer it <laughs> Are you guys, uh, so when offered cheese, and if you're taking cheese, uh, crackers or bread? Crackers. Depends on the cheese. You, uh, always yeah, crackers. You fill a sign. That's like pouring like pour Alex, a that, that divides Alex, that divides us. I that's like pouring a Chardonnay cracker. into a pint class, you more. <laughs> Sorry. I love, <laughs> <laughs> I, lo- I love bread. I don't eat a lot of it, but I do I do like good bread. It, I, it annoys me that... Um, they 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 almost coerce you into taking more bread from the bed basket because it's so cheap for them, but 
I yeah, love but you I you do that because you want to take it with the cheese later because when the cheese comes usually they only offer crackers you know we're no more bread so what I do I, I, I uh, I'm like a hamster I put the bread aside I'm like no 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 I'm not eating it now I'm waiting for the cheese and you're gonna only offer me crackers I was yeah, born next to France I need, I need <laughs> bread with my cheese but don't you think that bread on airplanes is universally terrible whereas yeah, a cracker pretty is pretty hard to screw up but the so to Paul's point the bread is just and I use this word in every almost every episode is a vector for the cheese <laughs> like it's just <laughs> yeah, like it, even right. if it's got no flavor that's almost a good thing because you can taste the cheese better but you have this normal sensation of the bread in your mouth for hard cheeses bread for soft cheeses crackers for me yeah yeah you're right i don't i i hadn't actually thought about it to be honest with you crackers weren't there not invented but got started using by you know the military etc because bread is perishable whereas crackers would just last forever with the cheese that, especially french cheese so they would just i don't know so maybe the I, same I, applies in playing so i've been waiting for this moment all episode i want you guys to go through and give me uh your your, your top food experiences and paul i know you mentioned your your uh your rice at the beginning Garuda, but, yeah. but but like a full menu. I know you guys have both have stacks of menus in front of you right now, but like a complete menu or a single individual like dish, like what stands out to you? And I, if you feel comfortable, who I, the airline was. I will. I will start first, maybe because I know Alex has has had. He's, Alex is more emotional towards food than I am, so it felt better. So I think it's it's better that he, if you're bringing off your on a, on, a, uh, on a climax of, of food, your heartless me, Swiss uh, efficiency. <laughs> 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 now, you know what? I, 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 for me, uh, in, in airlines, there are four airlines that I, I really appreciate the food from, uh, more than that, but because, for me, food has to tell a story. And I find that a lot of airlines, including, by the way, sometimes the big ones like Emirates, etc., they're like, too generic in what they offer. Of course, they're like, and I have a few me- menus, and maybe Alex will go through some of these as well. The names are you're like in a French restaurants in the middle of yeah, Paris yeah. and but you know Aegean I know of course you know as a Greek as well I will I will mention them <laughs> they have these menu in business class and their business class is nothing special because you know it's like the same seats as in the back just that you have an extra free seat in the middle and so uh, we're talking about from London to Athens like what three hours flight but they will have every single month a different menu which is to a village in Greece and they will offer you you know uh, have you know I have one in front of me for for instance here like mosraki which is basically um a veal stew and that's really from i mean it's a it's a regional food in Greece and applies in many regions but in that sense they only did it the way they do it in this town only and i i really love this kind of thing swiss you know, Switzerland is really not known for food. <laughs> like, really not. It's only maybe phone, Swiss phone fondue and chocolate. Yeah. And, but you know what? I was I was uh, flying from uh, Hong Kong to Zurich. I'm trying to find a menu here in front of me, and they gave us this. Uh, I don't know if you ever, you guys ever had this. We say "émincer de vous" in French, so it's the Zurich-style sliced veal in a mushroom cream. That's wow. very Zurich. It's every single Swiss person you talk to who is listening to this podcast today will know this. Of course, as a Swiss, it was a bit of something of a reminiscence, but that's I like that. You know that they they offer. It was not the only option, of course, but that they offer these kinds of of, of thing. The other. Two airlines, of course, Air France does, you know, 
We're talking France here, for crying out loud. Every single, they even have, you know, the, a special when you're in business class. So they will, they will give you their three or four choices, which, by the way, is always in every airline ever. Like in the movie Airplane, there's always lasagna, chicken, <laughs> uh, and fish. And sometimes it's pork and sometimes beef, right? It's, it's always the same. And the rest is a, sort of a variation of adding words on top of this. But it's always the same basic foundation. Uh, Air France has, have, has a special. You know, like you would go in a French restaurant and they will say, and today we have. And you're like, okay, today you have. Well, like, come on. <laughs> you just didn't yeah. put it on the menu. but you. <laughs> and they give you like an extra little piece of paper with it. And a Turkish uh, so that people do not think I'm only talking about, you know, uh, uh, cultures that are always close to me, the Turkish, uh, Turkey and Greece are close. They have kebab and a kebab on board that is also in, in, in economy, by the way, is fantastic. It's one of the best, again, comfort food, but it's one of the best thing I ever eaten ever. Uh, so I'll, I'll let Alex maybe, because I've, I've been holding the, the, the fort, the microphone for a little bit, but I, I find airlines that tell a little bit of a story are much better than those I miss on the opportunity. Alex just mentioned JetBlue, and I think that's really great what they do because it really also tells a bit of the American story. I flew, I've flown, I don't know, Air Mauritius, nothing about Mauritius, almost. I've flown uh, Ast- um, Air Astana. There was nothing Kazakh in their food. There was, again, fish and chicken and lasagna. <laughs> <laughs> so, meaning it's a bit of a missed opportunity when you have an airline that doesn't try to offer something local. I know that Alex tried, uh, and maybe you can start with it, Alex, the the Qantas thing on Emirates. The, yeah. The schnitzel. That was, su- that was surprisingly good. I was flying, that was in business class on this most recent trip. I can't remember, I don't think I mentioned it on this last uh, episode, but uh, on the way back, they I asked the one of the cabin crew who was, who was really, really good and said, okay, what, what should I order? Because nothing was jumping out of me. It all looked good. And she kind of like looked around the cabin and then looked at me and said, we all love this chicken schnitzel and Swiss cheese sandwich. So that was, good. That was a uh, uh, borrowed from their from their partner, Qantas's menu, and it was outstanding. It was really, really the good. The Australians again, know how to do chicken schnitzel, which is the weirdest thing. When I lived there, do. it's just like fried chicken in a sandwich. It, I don't understand why they're good at it, but they are. They really are, and it was it was outstanding, uh, and I, I I really enjoyed it, and I appreciate the recommendation, and and I, the, often I do that in restaurants as well. It's like, what, what's your favorite thing? What is your favorite thing, and what does the chef wish people ordered more often? Yeah. What's that in uh, Japanese? Is called amagasi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, and, you know, uh, you know what, Alex uh, Etihad also had. So Etihad doesn't have a tie-in with any other airline because uh, Qantas and Emirates are close, which is why they have this relationship. Actually, Qantas offers the Arabic meze inspired by Emirates when you fly them. So they have this kind of crossover like we're doing now between Mastication Nation and layovers. But Etihad that kind of always tries to be a little bit like Emirates. They also have, I have it here, the, the Etihad steak sandwich. Rocket leaves, turkey, rasher, caramelized onions, melted cheese, mayonnaise, and grain mustard, which I tried when I flew them. It's very good, but it's not as good as your schnitzel by Qantas. Yeah, the- <laughs> <laughs> I think that, like perf- that sounds like a perfume. That Schnitzel like a by Qantas. Schnitzel by Qantas. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, the the two stories I want to share uh, in terms of great food are: I flew by a series of fortunate events, first class on Cathay Pacific from Hong Kong to Lucky Bat. Frankfurt. Yes, last uh, last year, uh, which was utterly transcendent. They were incredible. And they bring you to start with this whole platter of of caviar, and it's it's high end, ultra incredible 
caviar. Uh, and it says in the menu, because I've got it here because I'm, again, a dork. It says um, caviar and champagne. So they, they match the champagne with it. Served with traditional garnishes of blinis, chive creme fraiche, and chopped egg. In this like elaborate setup of like five or six plates. And of course, you've got the abalone spoon. And I'm just staring at it. For like seven or eight minutes, and the, the 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 chief person comes along. She's like, "Everything okay?" And I'm like, "What? What do I do?" <laughs> she, oh, she had I, to teach me how to eat. Cabbage I have properly. a story about that later. Remind me. <laughs> uh, but then the rest of it was uh, was in, was incredible, and it was it was a you know it was a long flight. But you have all these incredible um, either Asian or European foods, pork soup, marrow, and red dates, uh, stir-fried Maine lobster, celery, and steamed jasmine rice, all Michelin restaurant quality. But the other one I had was um, uh, Singapore Airlines business class like five or six years ago. I slept through the first meal service and I woke up and I was probably the only person awake in the cabin and they noticed. And that's, I think, what's incredible about airlines like Singapore Airlines and Cathay is they'll they do, notice yeah. them. Comes over, she's like, you didn't eat. Would you like me to get you something? And I'm like, oh, I'm okay. She's like, i tell you what. I'll bring you a bowl of noodles. How does that sound? And I was like, oh, that sounds fine. And it was the most beautiful porcelain or ceramic bowl with restaurant style like ramen noodles and sliced pork belly and a little bit of spice it was the <laughs> one of the most delicious noodle dishes i've ever had in my life and it was somewhere over the bay of bengal don't you don't you, don't you I, I i'm sorry to interrupt you alex but don't you think sometimes that especially when you're lucky we've been lucky a few times to be upgraded to first class that when they tell you Oh, we can quickly fix something for you, and you like you expect literally just I just want a slice of bread and some I don't know some cheese. They come up with this amazing thing, and you're like, well, we only have thirty minutes before we. No, no, don't <laughs> yeah. worry, sir. You'll have all the time you, to you, have yeah. like twenty five plates now. I'm like, what's going on? It's here? just <laughs> extraordinary. But yeah, those those were my favorite experiences. So for those of us uh, who are in the cheap seats, uh, my favorite <laughs> thing, and and there's a cafe thing, and I'm not sure if they're still doing it. It's been a few years, years since I've flown to cafe, and it's not a regular meal service. So they have the regular meal service in cafe in the economy seats is, is good, um, and you can and. And at breakfast time, you can pick between European style or Asian style uh, breakfasts. But they have a sort of like mid-flight menu, which includes ice cream and stuff like that. But the thing that made the most sense, and it's so smart when you realize what they have available to them, you know, to make things back in the economy, galleys, is pot noodle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so smart. But 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 the Nissan rot like good i mean they're like yeah i'm not saying like it's the english pot noodle brand but it's yeah. it is you know your you know plastic bowl you pour you pour your uh hot water over the noodles a and a does and then, that i think as well but it's, it's so smart because it's it yeah. i remember reading the history of the guy who invented the sort of you know f the, the the freeze-dried um yeah, ramen stuff and and it's like it's unbelievably cheap, and it kind of kept them alive, Japan alive during the rebuilding yep. process after the Second World War. But like it became a staple of like you know college students and and uh, university students in England for generations. And it's something that I remember being like two o'clock in the morning or like five hours into a flight from London to Hong Kong, and just looking over and seeing you know who uh, guy from hong kong guy from london guy from wherever all just going ham on their pot noodle and it's just like it doesn't require anything from the galley from 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 the galley and it doesn't require any sort of like 
white tablecloth service. So it's pretty smart. I, I think that it's one of the things that I would gravitate to if I was back on Cathay Pacific. You know, I've seen uh, quite a few when I was flying ANA, even in the front of the cabin, people that would actually just simply get pot noodle as well. They have it actually on the menu. They just said, you want, you know, pot noodle and people will actually just go that and forego the most, the more sophisticated <laughs> options. I mean, you know, that's what, that's what I like. So I'm going to just, because Alex just rem- remembered, uh, made me remember a story that happened to me. I was flying Korean Air. And actually, uh, the uh, 747, but the newer version of 747 recently, last uh, July, I think. And uh, I always go, as I said earlier, for the local option, if you want. So if I'm yeah, Korean Air, I'm going to try the Korean food because, you know. Or sometimes I would say, Alex, maybe you agree with me, depending on the... So when I was using living in Japan, I was flying a lot Air France. So when I was going towards Japan, I would go to Japanese option. And when I was coming towards Europe, I would go for the European option. Maybe because after having been in Japan for a few months without traveling, I'm like, ah, I want to go back to European food. I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> I was I was in Korea and there's this um, Korean bibimbap offered with minced beef and seasoned vegetables accompanied by sesame oil and uh, gochujang, which is uh, some kind of hot pepper sauce. Mm-hmm. And literally when they serve it, uh, I look at it and it looked like a jigsaw puzzle. I didn't know what to do with it because the, everything was like separated. They even like like some small pouches. And I was literally looking at the guy on the other side of the aisle because I'm on the upper deck. And I was like, what is he doing? I'm going to imitate every single <laughs> of his move because I didn't really know how to eat that thing. Right? Yeah, no it's idea. like when we were in L.A. for the the, the Korean town um, at part of the L.A. attache episode, that's, I can't remember what they call it, but it's all the little plates that come with your big stew or your bibimbap or whatever you're doing. And like yeah, they had to explain like when you would eat exactly. how you would eat. Yeah. <laughs> so, so – just to finish off the amazing experiences, uh, we've been lucky. I mean, Alex just mentioned some memories. I'm going to go for the competition, some Etihad, because it was a fun story. Have you ever seen, guys, when you, they have a chef on board, which is a lot of marketing? So Turkish as a chef, Garuda as a chef, Etihad as a chef. And, you know, the guy is basically just a flight attendant or sometimes a girl's, but I've only seen male of chefs that just, like, wear some kind of uniform. And I'm sure they what they just do is that they put the plates out of the oven and just serve you like in a very fancy way, right? right. So, but uh, when you are in first class in many airlines, you can have food on demand, which, by the way, the first ever time I was upgraded, I had no idea and I was waiting like a fool. There's no food on this flight or something? <laughs> <laughs> and But this one I always remember because I was Manchester to... Abu Dhabi, and I was the only person in first class. I don't even, I'm not even sure it made sense to have a first class on that flight. And uh, so uh, all the attention was on me. And uh, they had every single food. They had like uh, a grass fed beef tenderloin, ribeye steak from the US, lamb chang, chicken supreme, the catch of the day. Again, the catch of the day. What does that (laughs) even mean? You know, did they catch something in the air? Biryani, you know, roasted loin of lamb, uh, veg, I mean, everything. They are allowed on that airline to mix things. So to do, so I asked for a surf and turf, and he created a surf and turf, which was amazing. Just for me, it's something that was nothing. Just you know, so they have some liberty. That was that was a pretty cool experience because again, 
for me it's like magic i'm like they're never gonna be able to pull it off it will actually not be great and it's actually very decent well because so, yeah. i guess that food is gonna have to be tossed when it gets to the destination anyway so why not let you go out there and make your buffet basically have everything <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the final frontier in a first class buffet yeah oh god <laughs> I, I think that uh, that brings us uh, very inelegantly to a, a perfect conclusion for this episode. But what I do want to hear from anybody listening to this is what is the best and the worst airplane food you've ever had? Do you have any favorite airport eating spots? There are a few hidden gems out there that I think we've all experienced, but I want to hear, we want to hear them all and we'll, we'll pick them up in, in, uh, in the next episode. But Paul, thank you so much for joining us today. This was a lot of fun. Thank you, and uh, we'll have Will uh, again, and this time with you, Alex, on one of our own episodes to talk more about food. Perfect. Well, guys, until next time, what do we say? Which, which show am I on? We say eat well. We say eat well, yes. Eat well. All right, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.